created live on Fireside. Welcome to Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe live from the Commit to Excellence Conference in downtown Boston. Uh, we are here throughout the conference. We are doing some micro-potting, uh, handing out some hopefully effective and fun leadership advice to our participants. And uh, we are thrilled to be here. I love uh, Fireside as a platform for uh, communication. And I love working with college students because they are the future, uh, as Whitney Houston once said, <laughs> to paraphrase. We are here with the Shaw. He is at Augustana College in Illinois. Michelle, why don't you get up to the microphone? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, what do you do on the Augustana campus? Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Michelle Weems. I'm from Carpentersville, Illinois, and I currently attend Augustana. I'm a senior majoring in art history and history and minoring in biology and chemistry, hopefully pursuing a uh, hopefully pursuing medical school All and right. becoming a psychiatrist. Some things that I do at Augustana is I'm the International Committee Chair for the Student Government Association. I'm the Lead 365 Director for the Office of Student Life, and that is actually how me and my fellow peers got here to Boston. And then finally, I am an ACI mentor, so I mentor all the incoming freshman African-American men. Wow. And, we're, and I am the co-director with my friend Matt Strauss, who's also here for the Multicultural Men's Association. So... That's basically... You need no advice from me. <laughs> you are getting it all done. Yeah, I try. I try. I remember coming into uh, college, I used to play baseball and basketball, and I had to make a decision whether I wanted to help out with the community or if I wanted to pursue my own goals. And I knew I wasn't going to the professionals or anything. So yeah. as soon as I got to Augustana, I kind of went to the Office of Student Life, went to the Office of Student Inclusion and Diversity and just asked how I could get involved. Yeah. And freshman year, it was me ma mainly just being a mentee. Yeah. And my mentor, Jake Washington, actually helped me a lot. So it's, it's been an amazing experience. And to cap it off with the Commit to Excellence leadership is just been eye opening and really humbling because there's amazing. There's a lot of amazing gray minds here. That's so. amazing. So uh, what were you uh, when you came out here? Was there something you were kind of hoping would happen? Were you hoping for? Or was it just like, all right, it's a weekend. We're going to Boston. Um, I actually didn't decide to come until this past Wednesday. Okay. And as the Wednesday was approaching and the final deadline was coming, I was, it was on my mind that this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, okay. that this is my senior year of college. And honestly, I've never been to Boston. I've never really ventured outside Illinois. So coming here was just like I said, eye-opening in the fact that I got to meet individuals like yourself and okay. other students. So I really just wanted to get out. Um, how can I say this? A really, I wanted to meet different minds okay. and kind of compare okay. and contrast the ideas that we have. Well, it's, you know, one of the, the themes that I've had when I've been talking to some folks is that there is these different lived experiences and that you know, I think one of the things that's happened in the last few years, um, and I think the, the pandemic has fueled it a bit, is that we've had these moments where like, well, we're all in the Zoom room together. We're all in this together. But our lived experience, what happens outside of the Zoom room or, you know, I teach graduate students and, you know, folks who have to, you know, they, they're like, I, I don't have the space 
to learn privately. I have lots of people living in this apartment with me, or I have these stressors in my life. And that I think because of this kind of shared experience that we all had, which mm. is this remote world, people think that the world is so it is almost like everyone's having the same experience. It's like, no, your experience in the Zoom room is different, even if it looks the same in this little box. Um, and so I think anytime we can now get out and actually breathe the air somewhere else and talk to other people, that actually, to me, is just a huge, huge opportunity. Um, and I really appreciate you being here. So, you know, you... Um, you are in many leadership roles. Is there one that you are the proudest of that you took on? The proudest one would probably be the ACI leadership. So mentoring the incoming yeah. African-American male students coming into Augustana. Just because when I came to Augustana as a freshman, I was, I was pretty lost. Mm -hmm. And not so much in my identity, but just what I wanted to do, what my passions were. Mm -hmm. So when my mentor, Jake Washington, who I mentioned previously, kind of took me under his arms, showed me how to be a mentee and a great mentor that really inspired me to do the best that I could do. Yeah. So we have events such as like the cuts and convos for the Multicultural Men's Association, where if you don't have enough money to uh, get a haircut, we bring barbers, three, three barbers annually for about like a thousand each. And about 75 students can get their haircut wow. just for free. That's great. So that's kind of that's not kind of, that's what drives me. That's yeah. my passion. I love seeing. Well, that's improving someone's quality of life. Like mm -hmm. I can't tell you how important that is. Yeah. You know, when someone's trying to make a decision, they either get a haircut or have to buy a textbook, mm -hmm. right? They're going to, they're the going to make a decision, right? You know, I'm not going to say they're always going to buy the textbook. I know people, some people who buy, who say, no, but the hair is more important. I can't be walking around looking like, you know, foolish. Mm -hmm. Okay. But that means they also are losing out on the textbook, yeah, right? Exactly. And so what you're doing is improving people's quality of life. You're taking a little bit of that edge off um, that would maybe consume them and require them to do some things that they wouldn't necessarily want to do, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that's really important. I think it's super important. Hey, folks. Um, and so we are here at the Commit to Excellence Conference. What you don't see, because I don't have the camera on, there's a camera function on this, right? Uh -huh. And I don't have the camera on because it doesn't have a wide angle here. So it would literally be just taking a picture of the wall. <laughs> um, but we are here at the floor of the Commit to Excellence Conference, and uh, we are doing some micro-potting and uh, answering some questions about leadership and uh, hopefully giving out some good advice all yeah, right hopefully, hopefully hopefully so what were you hoping to ask me tell me what you were hoping to ask um i just wanted to ask like as a leader more specifically i know it's hard to stay on your path and yeah. like, stay straightforward and steady-minded so when you kind of not lose yourself but if you step outside of your path what's the best way for you to um, realign yourself because i find i found myself um struggling with that not recently but during my time at college and yeah. as a leader because you're over so many people and you don't want to be micromanaging, mm -hmm. but you also have to be confident in your own identity and in your own thoughts. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. That That's question. a really good question. Boy, you're smart. Okay, so here are some of the things that, that I would say is that there's going to be times where you're, you're going to get off the, you're going to get off the rails. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I always talk to people about like, you know, I like to use this analogy all the time is, is that, you know, when you look at a train track, 
Okay. And people always talk about trains and leadership. Um, they always think about the engine, engine, right? The engine is the leader. And I actually say, nah, I don't think so. I mean, I know the engine is like the sexiest car on the train and it's sometimes the shiniest and the brightest and all that kind of thing. But I like to be the caboose because the caboose, why? It, if the caboose doesn't get where the, the train's supposed to go, the bo- the train didn't get there. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the train, the caboose actually is really important because it keeps the train on the track. Okay. Yes. It's kind of like the thing that's holding it. The main anchor. Exactly. And when you're trying to kind of write yourself in terms of leadership, think about anchoring more than it is about being in front. Okay. You want people, and especially now as a senior, you want to make sure that the people who are filling your shoes when you leave are, are adept and ready. Like right now we're in November and we have um, very little time left of the fall semester. I always say to people like when you, after Thanksgiving, it is just a, a bullet train. Yeah. Like it is boom, like it is, exactly. we're done. Okay. Yeah. So if you start to think about, okay, in a few months, I got to start thinking about who's taken over. Mm-hmm. that's going to be a really good thing for you to help keep you focused to say, where do I have to do to hand this off? Mm-hmm. What does the transition of, of responsibility actually look like? Okay. And as you are thinking beyond this, okay, so now you're leaving the institution, you're going to graduate, you're going to move on to your next great, you know, yeah. adventure. Mm-hmm you're also now positioning yourself for the transition. Yeah. Okay. So as you're concentrating on your transition out, you need to be thinking about the transition of someone to fill your shoes so that all this work that you've been able to put in doesn't go to waste. Okay. They may not do it exactly the way you did it. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's something that we all have pride and we're like, but I like this. Why are people changing it? Um, you want to kind of be more comfortable with this idea that someone you want someone to get as much out of it as you have. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. sense. And, 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 you know, one of the things I talked about with one of the groups earlier today is about this spirit of what we do in terms of being a leader. You got to think about what's the spirit of your organization. What's the mission? What's the, what's the, the drive of it. Okay. And should that be reinforced or can the mission and drive change as oh, different people yeah. come and take the different leadership roles? I think that you got to look at things like your mission should remain like your doctrine. It's why okay. you exist. Okay. Um, the actual physical look of the organization can absolutely change. Okay. okay? So let's say with your group with uh, working with your African-American men. Okay. You probably have a mission. You probably have a real purpose statement associated with this, but let's say the size of the pool of African-American men who enroll gets bigger. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's got to scale, right? Mm -hmm. You have to be able to scale and you can actually, you may have to change over time the actual physical look, but you don't want to change the feel. You want people to always feel committed and connected and say, this was absolutely worth my time to be part of this organization and to have an affiliation. But five, 10, 15 years down the road, you come back for an alumni event, you see how it looks, you go, damn, they really making it work. Yeah. Right. But in their own way. But in their own way. So, you know, it's, 
I'm old enough to remember when you would just get a map and a map would take you to where you're going. Yeah. Right. And you could sit there and highlight multiple routes, but you usually just go with the easiest one. Yes. Right. Yeah. Now you put on Google Maps, you put on Waze, and they may give you five, six options to get somewhere. Exactly. And if you're like, I'm in no rush, I'm going to go the way I don't have to go through a toll. Exactly. Or I'm in no rush. Oh, wait, this goes by that mall. I'm going to go by that store. Great. That's how I'm going to go. Gotcha. You're ultimately getting to the right place. It's just how you get there is going to change. Got got. Now I have, an, I have another question. Yeah. So for ACI, we have about 12 students and there's two mentors. So each of us gets about six, six kids, or not kids, but six students to yeah. mentor. And we have one-on-one -on -one meetings. Mm -hmm. But when I was a sophomore, the group was only three. So it was three each. And as I've grown, it, the group has grown too. Mm -hmm. So how do you kind of, not facilitate, but divert your attention to making those one-on-one -on -one connections yeah. to build cohesion in the group? and make sure like you were just previously stating that the group goes on and remains yeah. um remain or abides by its mission statement yeah so it's you've got to make sure that it's almost like these are non-negotiables okay one of the things we know works are these one-on-one -on -one contacts with the men in our group okay i would have to imagine that mentorship that sit down that one-on-one -on -one contact are super um effective this is where you actually uh, start to think about using, I, I'm going to use the D word, data, um, to be able to say that the work you're doing has value. Okay. okay. So you can work with your advisors and your mentors and say, can we see the students who came through our program? Are they graduating at a higher rate? Are they getting better grades? Are, they, are, are there other things about their experience that sets them apart? There may be some other students that come through and whether or not they be African-American men, okay, or maybe BIPOC men and say there's BIPOC men who may have the opportunity to, they don't have the same opportunity to be part of this program because it's an identity based program. Okay. But there's some things about maybe their, um, maybe where they're coming from high school or their GPA or something that that's a kind of like, okay, these are some things we know that are common across this this band so we know that this might might be effective okay but work with your advisor to figure that out because then i would have to imagine that those one-on-one -on -one meetings are the things that people may complain about okay and say i don't have time oh my god i have so much stress do i have yeah. to make time for this right now exactly. and that's, they know there's value in it right but they also know oh god i gotta make time for this okay mm -hmm. If you're able to say to people, I, folks, I want you to know I'm super proud of you because you're pulling this out and you're doing the work. Let me tell you why this is so important. Okay. When you can show people data, data can be sexy. Data can absolutely be sexy and you can put it in front of people and they all go, oh my God, we're actually doing good work. And the high fives yeah. all around. Okay. Gotcha. And, and so... I don't say start doing data collection to the point where you're like, oh, this is boring. But like, you know, but pull out that kind of data to say, yeah, this actually does have massive value and I can prove it. Gotcha. And that data can not only prove the worth, but it also becomes a motivator 
for folks when they are in points where they're like, I have so many other things I could be doing right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. But they say, but I know this has value and it works. Yeah. I think that's a big thing because when we try to schedule the one-on-one meetings, they might have clubs or a test to study for yeah. or just yeah. other additional things that might distract them or take their time. And mm-hmm. like as a college student, sometimes it is hard to like actually put something on your cal- on your Google calendar mm-hmm. and like, I'm making time for this. Yeah. So so it makes sense to show them the why. Yeah. Because then it can reinforce the And the why is so important. And I also will say this is that this also turns into some like transferable skills in terms of when you're when your volunteers and your and your folks who come through this say the just the act of making time to be in these appointments is absolutely not only a valuable experience for this for the mission of this organization, but actually makes you better moving forward in terms of what you're doing. Got it. Got it. Thank you. Thank you. Is that helpful? That's very, very helpful. (laughs) Well, I appreciate you. Yeah, I appreciate you too. I have one more question. Okay. You get one more. Okay. (laughs) So, like, based off your stage presence um, yesterday. Yeah. So, how did, because you said you were a comedian. Yeah. How did being a comedian um, help you? I guess, build relationships with your students. Or oh, do you, yeah. Do you feel like it's helped you? Oh, absolutely. Because here's the thing I always say to people, once you get people laughing, they listen to what you say. Mm-hmm. Right? So if I'm in, if, whether it be I'm in a big event where I've got hundreds of students, you know, in there are thousands of students, whatever the size of the institution I was at, and if they're laughing, they're, they're going to now hear you. And one of the things about laughter is that laughter is one of the most authentic acts, right? Yeah. And, you know, you go to a comedy club and you see a comedian and there's a connection because they've made you feel something. Right. Yeah. And so sometimes I'll put out like a joke first. I know this is and I'm now getting into like a topic that might be either boring or difficult mm-hmm. or complicated. Gotcha. People will absolutely like. It's to engage. It is. It it grabs people. And then if I'm talking to one-on-one to a student and, you know, I never, I try hard not to, but, you know, depending on the relationship I have with the students, sometimes you say things and you're like, come on, you know, like, oh, you again, you know, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But when they actually, you know, you have a communication with them that, uh, and they can laugh at themselves then they listen to you about some of the things that they, they need to hear. Okay. And that is important. That makes sense. That makes sense. All well, right. I, I appreciate the time. I had a great time. This was awesome. I appreciate you. Educated. This is so nice. Okay. And, um, <laughs> shout out to Commit to Excellence. So thank you. Thank you. All right. Have a good one. We are here and I want to thank everybody for being here. We have the Commit to Excellence program. We are live from downtown Boston and uh, we are doing uh, some micro potting and uh, we are uh, doing some sessions with our students who are here with some of the faculty will hopefully be joining me as well. And uh, we are uh, really enjoying these conversations. This is uh, Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe live from the beautiful Hyatt in downtown Boston, right uh, down from uh, the what we call the government center kind of area. So we are here with Brianna, and she is the president of the Student Senate from Stockton University in New Jersey. 
And uh, Brianna came up to me after my keynote last night and uh, was one of the first people to stop me. So, so clearly I am a fan of Brianna. So, (laughs) so Brianna, get a little closer to the microphone and tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, why you came to commit to excellence. So first, my name is Brianna Bracey, but everybody calls me Bree. Okay. I'm a senior student at Stockton University in Galloway, New Jersey, uh, 10 to 15 minutes from Atlantic City. I am a senior criminal justice major, victimology and victim services minor. Okay. And <clears throat> I need to know what victimology is, but we can get to that. Okay. Oh, of <laughs> um, so The reason why I came to Commit to Excellence is because I am very passionate in being a student leader on campus. And with the short amount of time I have left at my university, I want to make sure that I have the utmost impact for the students. And I want to gain as much knowledge and correct any shortcomings that I may have as a student leader. So that way I can implement them from here to the university. That's great. And so have you been to any other leadership conferences? I know that you've had probably a very interesting time as a student. So when you enrolled at Stockton, did you have, so you were the fall of 2019 when you started. So then your spring semester was shut down, right? Mm -hmm. And your second year, were you able to be in person or were you all remote? We were all remote. Okay. And did you do any leadership while you were remote or or what did that look like? So from the fall 2019 to the spring of uh, 2020, I got involved into Stockton Student Senate. And first I was involved in student affairs, which pertained to everything student life. So that's housing, that's dining services, shuttle services, things of that nature. Then we moved on to governmental affairs where I worked with civic engagement, voter registration on every sector, not just student level, but local, state, and national, because during that time was actually the election. election. So it was a very busy time for governmental affairs, a very exciting time. It was, yes. (laughs) And then when COVID happened, there was a transition in power from, um, I was vice president and I had my president with me who resigned mm. as a result of the stresses and the hardships yeah. that she was facing from COVID-19, which was completely understandable. Yep. So it was a very sudden shift in power that I didn't know that I was ready for. It. And mm. I will be honest, I didn't think I was ready for it at the time, but mm-hmm. I still stuck to it. And with the help of my faculty advisor, Jeff Wakeman and Craig Stambach, those two were my rocks. Mm. Every, when we were on, during COVID, it was me texting them nonstop, emailing them nonstop, Zooming with them, just trying to gain as much leadership qualities that I didn't think I had at the time. But in reality, I just couldn't see it. Yeah. And yeah. with the stresses of COVID-19, I just didn't know where to go. But at the same time, COVID-19 did give me the ability to be remote and be at home to channel everything at first. Mm. So when we became in person, that's when I really had to get my act together. Mm. And there were times where I felt like dropping. I felt like just not going through with my position. But like I said, we're uh, we're very dedicated and motivating faculty members. And with my own team, my, I don't think I would have made it without my e-board. Mm. I mm. genuinely believe that without 
their ability to tell me when I'm doing something wrong, correct me when I'm doing something wrong, but also motivated me to do better and be better. Right. It made me want to do it just not for my, not just for me, but for them as well. Right. So I love what you're saying. And I also want to call attention to something you said, which I think is going to prove to be an important aspect of your leadership acumen going forward is that what I really hope that people who have been able to kind of drill down on this idea of how maybe the COVID-19 pandemic affected their, their undergraduate experience and the person who was your predecessor in the role having to step down, you, your response to this was filled with grace, okay? And that grace is, is a term that I used a lot during the, like, we need to give grace as much as we take it, okay? And I think one of the things that happened when the world opened back up again, right? And I saw this in my own life. It felt like I got my vaccine and two weeks later, we were just, we were back in the car and we were like, my daughter's swim team was back in action Mm -hmm. and this was happening. I'm like, whoa, 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 I I need, (laughs) why are we going so fast? Why are we going so fast? Yes, and that's something that I saw not just in the work environment because at the time I was unemployed because of COVID-19. I have a heart condition that made me immunocompromised. So it really did put a damper on myself financially, but also mentally because I have such a, a work motivated mindset where if I'm not working, I feel like I'm not fulfilling my purpose. Yeah. Yeah. So I, 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 you and I have a little bit of the same hardwiring. I don't vacation well. (laughs) <laughs> like I don't like I literally like people are like oh I need to go to the beach I'm like I would rather not <laughs> go to the beach like I love the beach but like okay I'm bored now what do we oh, do now I yeah. am poly- I am the complete up op- when it comes to being a New Jersey resident the oh you beach have to is love my the beach. safe haven right yes I'm okay about 10 to 20 minutes from the Jersey Shore yeah. different beaches and that it's, is my it's part of place. your thing okay yes. good but uh I mean just for example the drive from Jersey to Boston. Yeah. I was working on school assignments. Yeah. I was working on things that I wasn't, I was behind on. I didn't nap in that yeah. drive. Yeah. <laughs> You're just like, I got to get shit done. I was yeah. just listening to the sounds of the snoring from my student affairs <laughs> chair. And that, <laughs> that really was my, music to my ears because I, I felt like I was taking you weren't a driving, little bit. Though. No, no. It was not driving. <laughs> okay. I, I believe we would have definitely gotten here faster because as a New Jersey resident, yeah, I also speed. Let's just say you're assertive. <laughs> yes. So, so tell me what you wanted to ask me. Did you have a question you wanted to ask? So something that I feel I've struggled with, not just in an educational setting, but just overall my future career path. Mm. Like I said before, I, when I minor in victimology and victim services, that's my future career. Mm. I want to go into victim advocacy. I want to help people that are not, not victims. I hate using the word that are survivors Mm -hmm. of rape, sexual assault, domestic violence, but I've had so many people that are higher up tell me that it is not for the faint of heart. It is not for those that have a soft exterior Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I've been trying to build and mold myself to be stronger, but with that, I still have to keep my humanity, still keep my compassion and my right. empathy to do my job effectively. Mm-hmm. How do you balance yeah. having the emotions, but also keeping yourself together mm-hmm. and keeping uh-huh. your... Yeah. 
I, I think that's a really important question. And I think anytime people come through and they decide to go into any kind of human services, where you are working with people and you are making decisions about somebody's life, okay, um, that's a lot, okay? Um, you said earlier that, you know, you're always working and you're always finding things. And then one of the things I would say to you is, you know this about yourself. And so something you have to decide that you're going to do is you have to do intentionality about what it is that you're going to spend time on for you. And that never gets compromised. Okay. Um, you know, when you look at what is valuable about your day to day, you need to spend some time, whether it be fitness, whether it be yoga, yeah. whether it be the beach, whether it be, you know, you just said that the beach is your happy place. You know, living on the shore is not cheap, right? But, but, <laughs> you, but like there's certain things like I, you know, I was joking before, like I, I need to be near water, but I don't need to be on the water. How's that? Mm -hmm. Like, so I lived in a landlocked place for a bit of time. I lived in Western Pennsylvania. And I was like, I, I just, I mean, it's lovely, but I can't be five hours from a body of salt water. I mean, like that was just bonkers. I was like, I can't have this in my life. And people say, oh, there's this great job in, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, like I can't be that far away from the salt water. I can't be that far away from an airport. Like there's certain things in my life. Okay. Yes. And and for you, I think you need to, to have that in the back of your head is that I'm not going to compromise a place that will bring my soul some, some like balance. Okay. First and foremost, but as far as the difficult, the parts of the job that are going to be stressful and that sort of thing from a, you'll hear people often say you need to compartmentalize. You need to put this here. I would all agree with this. Sometimes when people compartmentalize, it takes away the humanity. Mm -hmm. Okay. What I will say is that you need to do some research into the organizations that you're going to apply for and say, I want to know their policies. I want to know their processes. And I want to know how they support their staff. Because if you're going to go into that kind of work, you want to be able to work in an environment that maybe the state policy regarding survivors of sexual assault or survivors of some of these domestic abuse issues that are really very difficult mm -hmm. is not exactly what you want it to be, but at least working for an agency that says, look, we know that the state of X does not have the best track record for this, but we provide you, our employee, with this kind of support. We have enough people who are able to kind of be your advocate in the space but then also we have a way to support you, okay? So if you're going to be in that environment, now what I hear a lot from young people who go into these kind of services, I have a former student of mine who's working with women who are formerly um, uh, sex trafficked, okay? And she works for an organization that is very, very, very poorly resourced, okay? And that's a common theme in right. that field, which right. is so disappointing because we focus a lot, especially on, think back just to the Constitution. Right. It labels all of the defendants' rights, mm -hmm. but we ha there's no victims' rights. No victims' and rights, it, exactly. Of course, there's the, the arguments for and the arguments against, mm -hmm. and I could go into an entirely right. different conversation about that, but I just feel there's not enough emphasis on the damage that's done mm -hmm. when a crime is committed, because the majority of the time, the commit when a crime is committed, there is a victim, but mm -hmm. people don't think about that. They become a headline 
they become a picture for five seconds mm -hmm. and then we move on to the next story and right. these stories just keep happening right. right so like you said with the policies that are already in place mm -hmm. i want to change that right. i it sounds so unrealistic but i also don't want that pessimistic mindset because yeah. it will distract me from my goal well, and that's where I would say one of the things you may want to consider is say, how long is my shelf life in this part of my life, okay, in this part of my job and my continuation? And then where do I have to go to get, say, a master's degree or something else that gets me into a place where I can actually impact policy? I think what I oftentimes see with people who are in policy work, their kind of time on the ground was either limited or inconsequential. And they're making policy about things that they actually didn't touch or have any impact in, mm -hmm. okay? And so with you, you could say, I can do this for this amount of time, and then I'm gonna sock money away, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna focus on school in that next phase of my life in terms of what degree I need, and then move into that next space. That, that may be a very good opportunity for you because you don't wanna find yourself in a point where you're now so like beat up over it that you're not able to see the forest through the trees, okay? You wanna be able to still have some optimism, which is important. Thank you. All right, Thank was you that so helpful? Much. Yes, that was very helpful. All right, awesome. Well, it was great to meet you. It was a pleasure meeting you. All right, and I want you to have fun for the rest of the time you're here, all right? I will. Okay, I'll be around. All right, we have one more person. Okay, come on up. No, no, you can do it, come on. Come on, sit down. I'm here. I'm sitting here. Well, this is Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. We are live from the Commit to Excellence Conference uh, here in Boston. And uh, we are here with, I'm going to mess up your name. I'm going to try it. Darianta. Darianta. Close. Darianta. Darianta. But there's an A at the end. There is. Okay, you got to get close to the mic. Darianta. <laughs> Okay. There is. There is. And so it's Dariante. Yes, and what is the origin of that name? Um, I'm actually not sure. I know when I asked my parents about it, um, she did intentionally put the A instead of the E because I know a lot of people do. <laughs> right. Dariante. Okay. Um, so that's that's the main thing. I know a little bit more about my middle and last name than that. Okay. So I was listening name. to one of my other favorite podcasts. Um, it's a podcast called Mobituaries by this guy Mo Rocca. Um, and he talks about like all kinds of things that are dead. <laughs> like, okay. And one of the things he was talking about is how we've changed popular names. So like, you know, years ago it was, you know, because an actress or a movie or something like that. And then there was a point in time and it was actually led by the African-American community that they actually were like, no, we're going to make names that are unique to our it's family. Right. Well, but, but they was like, it was, we're going to make names that people will know this was this, there's a reason behind this, That's like, good. you know, That's good. and, um, it's, you know, something that people do all the time now, or they pull, like something that's a, you know, they use the word, uh, uh, I guess, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's daughter is named Apple, Apple right? Wow. Apple. Wow. And they're like, that's not a name that people no, would. That have happened often lately. No, right. <laughs> exactly. So tell me about, remind me what college you're at. I'm at Camelsville University. Okay. Uh, that is in Camelsville, Kentucky. Okay. Um, so that's like central Kentucky. Right. And I am originally from Alabama for 
our deep south. Oh, wow. <laughs> so you are like from the deep, deep south. I guess ma'am, I am. So okay. I am in Boston. And what do you do on your campus? On my campus, I am a uh, track athlete. Okay. Um, so I've been What's your event? and running for four years. Uh, I do the 100, 200, and 400 meter dash. So okay. I've enjoyed doing that. Um, currently, I'm not too long ago, became a residential manager of the dorms. Okay. So that's my um, most current position. And All right. I've had 50 other jobs before that. Okay. That's my most current. And so what brought you to this conference? Um, actually working in the enrollment office. So right before I um, stopped working at the enrollment office to take my new position, I got in contact with uh, Dr. Merriweather, mm -hmm. who uh, spoke here at this conference and is speaking here. And Pretty much, he's now our uh, VP of enrollment. So after just chitting, chatting with him um, and just having a, a great time with him, he uh, informed me about this conference and asked me to pretty much come here. And I accepted the offer because I love to learn new things and yeah. I love to travel, even though I'm not currently still working directly in his office. So, okay, that's great. Yeah. And then, and so, what is your major? Uh, business information technology. Okay, that's right. You told me that last night. That's right. And you're you're going to be employable. So let's talk about that. But so what were you hoping to ask me? Um, just a few different things. Okay. Um, when it comes to leadership, I know um, just being in my position, and I think I was asking someone this earlier, but mainly, I guess, just. I don't know how to explain, you know, with being a leader, you are always having to, you know, be that image, be that face mm. um, for everyone. Yeah. And then there's just life outside of that. So mm -hmm. how do you handle just yeah. the life outside of that right. and still being that leader for everyone? Are you, let me ask you this question. As far as your, your family, are you the first in college, first in family uh, to go to college? Well, I've had a few that started, but none of them. Okay. Been, so so. It's a, there's a reason why I asked that question. Cause you just asked this, like, you know, how do I be the face? Okay. Uh, yes, and you're, so you're the face. I'm the, yes, ma'am. I am. In a few different spaces. In a few different spaces. Okay. For family, for yeah. community, all the above. Yeah. You know? And, and you being the face. There's a lot of pressure there, there's always, yes, right? There's a lot of pressure. And and so I I think one of the things that that you have to do, and and this goes to maybe my my speech last night, is that idea about what is the authentic what is the authentic you, and what does that look like? It's never going to be perfect, right. okay? And you need to be able to say to people in your life, this is where I'm struggling, or this is where I'm like not quite. I don't have my sea legs underneath me, you know, like, like, well, you're, you're a runner. So, you know, you've seen, I'm sure you would, this would never happen to you when people are in, I don't even know what the, what's that thing called that you, you start the race in. The, uh, the lanes or the he, Shane zone? The, the, one. the actual, like that the blocks, the blocks. Okay. You're in the blocks. <laughs> and if my husband's listening later, he's going to be like, honey, it's the blocks, honey, it's the blocks, honey, it's the blocks. Okay. No. So you're in the blocks and you've seen people like no. not come out of the blocks. Not right. Of them good. Okay. Yeah. It's that kind of idea. Jeez. It's that idea of like, for some reason I'm not able to get out of the blocks and I need some coaching oh. on how to get out of the blocks. How you come out of the blocks is going to be important to every race. But like my daughter's a swimmer and one of the things that they teach you in swimming is pacing yourself. Okay. How many times do you breathe? How many times do you like, how fast, how much do you right, kick? Right, how do you do this? Right. And the same thing with racing, right? It's same thing. Like you're going to run, oh, yes, right? Pacing, all that. Yes, right. And so you're learning how to pace yourself in certain types of jobs and in certain wow. types of roles. Okay. And you're not going to be perfect in all of them. 
And there's gonna be some of them that you say, I take into this like this is this is like second nature to me. Okay. But but I think what happens sometimes is that when things are like second nature to you, you are less likely to want to improve and push yourself. Because you're like, but wait a second, this is my thing. And you're like, why why am I trying to change myself? Why am I trying to push myself? I already do this fine. You don't want to do it fine. Okay. You want to do it to your best capacity. Okay. And, and so when you are the face of something, at the very least, you want people to say, all right, this may not be his best job, or this may not be the thing that he is going to take to as easily, but I know something about his work ethic. I know something about his personal ethics. I know something about what kind of communicator he is. I know something about what, whatever it might be. Okay. But you want people to see all of those elements of you as a leader. Okay. Not just about the job or the role. Right. And that's what, as you are moving your way through these different things, like I am so glad that you're an athlete because one of the things I always say to uh, student athletes, and I worked in athletics for three years. That was my first job out of college. I worked in a division one athletic program. I was doing marketing and that sort of thing. And then uh, when I was a vice president for student affairs, I was what they call an um, athletic direct report and ADR. And so that meant that the athletic department reported to me. So we had a D3 program and they reported to me. And what I always say to my student athletes is that you got to remember something. You, you get more out of this, this opportunity than most students get out of other jobs and opportunities on the campus, because you've got, you've got a sense of belonging within your team. You are able to kind of look around you and say, who's, I mean, here's the thing. You're either fast or you're not, right? And you, you have to, and, and no one's going to sit around and go, oh, wow, you're not fast. Like, I am fast. You know, like, it's like, not today. No, you're right. Today was not my fast day. Okay. But you are able to work with one another to make it through hardship and through difficulty and through, you know, it was a slippery track today. People fell, people this, people that. You can empathize. You build that sense of empathy. You build that sense of um, of, of uh, uh, collegiality. That's very different than you get in any other space. Okay. You also work with a coach. Coach is going is the authority. Yes, okay. Whether you like the person or not, they are the authority. Okay. They are the ones who are going to tell you you're racing or you're not racing. Okay. You get all these things. And one of the most important things is you get time management because you have to go to practice. Okay. And so there are things that you have because of that opportunity that other students just don't have. Okay. And, you know, that is, that is a hugely important thing. And I think sometimes students dismiss their student leader or sorry, their student athlete experience as not being a value of say being a resident assistant or an orientation leader or something like that, that then they say, no, there, there is actually a role there and uh, don't dismiss it. Good. Um, yeah. I mean, just piggybacking off of what you said, just the authentic authenticity, um, just hearing that word so much throughout this conference and talking to you and yeah. other leaders throughout the conference, I've definitely learned in order, you know, to be, I'll say like a more improved, I won't say better leader, 
just to be more authentic and then just to share more and try to be more relatable because I know sometimes I have been told about my from my friends and peers and everyone I mean usually with me it's either business life or personal life I don't mix it too oh I'm yeah not yeah talking yeah. to anyone about anything yeah. besides work and if it's not about work then, yeah you know. well, but I think that how do I say this I don't have a problem with some of that mm -hmm. okay because there are people who can't separate work and life okay and i would rather kind of be at those extremes and work in a little at. bit than I'm be to mushed together <laughs> and can't uncouple it all right and so some of that may come with you over time in terms of how you feel competent and your ability to lead within your field okay and that's when you start to share things and you're like, okay, I don't need to, sh I don't need to prove myself. These are the people in my life who should trust me and should love me and, you know, respect me. And then when I start sharing work, then they're going to be more in tune to be like, oh, he doesn't share that very often. Maybe he needs help. Maybe he needs emotional support. Maybe he needs something. Okay. So I would say to you is that I'd rather be where you're at and work your way in than be a mush in the middle and not be able to have two parts of your life. Understand that. Um, I guess another question I have just as far as you're at is, I mean, how exactly did you figure out? I mean, I'm sure like everyone yeah. in life, we have 40 jobs. Yeah. Um, so how exactly did you decide this is exactly what you wanted to be doing? The rest oh my of your God. Life, you know? um, well, I think that what happened was it's also about time and space and what your circumstances are at the time. So when I graduated from college, it was 1989. And I don't know, how old were your parents? Um, my parents are late 40s. Late 40s. Okay. So they're kids. Um, <laughs> so but when I graduated from college, there, we were in the middle of a recession. There was a financial like, like no, I literally remember sitting on the field at my graduation wow. and it was a hot, hot, awful day. And I was looking around and we're like, who's got jobs? And nobody, like wow. literally nobody wow. had jobs right except like three or four guys down the, the he's got a job. Oh yeah. Who's he working for? Wow. His father. I'm like, well, that doesn't oh, count. Man. Right. And so you found your way into this. Sometimes what happened with me was this idea of, okay, what are the things I like to do that's and true. can I make money at it? That's, can I actually, you know, can I, things. right? And so it, it was, there was a few things there. So I was a journalism major in college. This was in the days before CNN and all kinds of cable and interwebs and all that. So you were like, you either work for a radio you station, were. a television station with the three networks, um, a newspaper or a magazine. Okay. That was it. And you didn't have, there weren't a lot of options. Okay. And <clears throat> what happened with me was the reason I got my first job working at a university was because I was a college mascot. Wow. Like when I was an undergrad, I ran around in a costume yeah. and I got tossed around by cheerleaders and I went to mascot camp and all kinds of crap. And so the athletic director called me and was like, Hey, we have a job opening. I wonder if you might be interested. That's what got me in the door. Yeah. Hand to God. Right. Oh. But then I'm there and I was really kind of just doing marketing and that was oh. kind of sales. And I don't like sales. I don't right. like, I mean, yeah. I can sell stuff, but it's, sell, yeah, it's not my, it's not my, it's not my thing. Right. That's right. That's right. And I, that. <clears throat> I was an RA as an undergrad. Mm -hmm. And 
I liked that. I liked helping people. I liked the aspect of, you know, teamwork and, and problem solving and helping people find alternatives to dumbass behavior and like all that. Right. Right. And I said, well, I could do that for a living. And so I applied for a res life job and that's what got me in. Like it was never, I mean, let's be honest. I, and you know, I teach graduate students in student affairs administration. Mm -hmm. No one wakes up in the middle of their sophomore year of high school and says, I think I want to work at a college. No one does that. (laughs) You start working at a college because of your experience at a college. That's very much true. Right. And your parents, if you end up doing that or anyone who ends up doing that, none of them will ever understand. I'm 55 years old. My dad just turned 80. He still doesn't know what the hell I do. (laughs) Right. Oh, you have the summer off. No, we don't have the summer (laughs) off. Right. You know, it's like, I thought all teachers had the summer off. No, no, that's not how it is. Um, But it's you. You are finding your way into a different role that people may not necessarily understand. Now, that being said. You are of a generation, I am looking at the generation that is going to move jobs, careers more than um, my generation, definitely more than the generation that came before me. Um, You know, it is very rare that people find a a, a professional home that um, not only an institution or a company that lasts as long as, you know, five, ten, ten years anymore. Okay, they're bouncing around. And so one of the great things about your generation is that people won't look at you side-eyed if you move from one thing to another. Your parents might. <laughs> parents will. Your, your parents, parents might. Will. But they're going to get used to it too because there's more – as they see other people bounce around, especially if you're bouncing around and doing good work. And doing – that's right. You're not bouncing well, around trying to – like you're floundering. Like, right, I don't know yeah, what I'm doing. You know, you know, kind of thing. True. Um, so the more you can actually find your value in the space, the better. And, you know, you have a good opportunity there. That's good. I, I mean, it's, it's crazy because, like I said, I can relate yeah. in ways interesting. Like, I, I, I'm, I was an RA just a few months ago and things. Yeah. So it's just interesting how you find what you like. Well, but you find what you like and you, and you actually find, not only do you find what you like, what you like finds you. Okay. And like, you know, there's some of the things that I've tried over my lifetime. I'm like, oh, God, if I could just win the lottery and just do that. You know, like people say, well, if you won the mega millions, what would you do? I was like, first of all, I would I would be, hire a good lawyer. Second That's of all, funny. I would, I, I don't know if I'd ever stop doing anything. I would want to do stuff with purpose and not have to worry about paying the bills. Right? Isn't that what we all do? That's what we all do. Right? And, and all that's all we all want to do, right? And I think as you're looking at your leadership acumen and what you're building is, is you know, going back to your initial question about this idea of who am I and what is the face I'm putting out there and all that. Don't worry about the face. Don't, don't worry about the face. Clearly your face is something that's given you these other opportunities. It's not just your face. It's your ability. It's the ability that comes with the face, all right? You need to be more conscious of the fact that there are going to be times where you're not 100% like comfortable with what you're doing. And it's not that you don't believe in it. You believe in it. You're just like, okay, this isn't, I, I need to get better I at this, that. okay? Mm-hmm. That is not a weakness. 
that is an opportunity. All right. Well, well, I guess I'll leave you with one last question, okay. which I'm sure should be a good one. If you could tell your younger self oh, when, or you know, one, one just like one important few, thing, quote, yeah. important thing, like to your yeah. generation, what would it be? I think that um, <laughs> I would say take Donald Trump more seriously. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, in all seriousness, I think that um, the thing I would tell myself is that the journey is um, going to be um, not what you expected. Um, and that the people, your family is a, is a group of people that you bring together. It's not the people you're actually born into. And what I'm, and I, and I have, I love my family. Don't get me wrong. I love my father and he's just a wonderful human and pain in the ass, but he's a wonderful (laughs) human, but, but it is, you find strength and comfort in family that you kind of cultivate and those that cultivation of family and your, your network is, is so much more important than your place of birth, your placement of birth, the people that you, uh, you know, people are all like, Oh, when you go to college, these are the people that you're going to have in your life for the rest. Yeah. You do have some of these people in your life forever but you're going to grab people along the way and your family is going to become richer and more diverse and more beautiful and more funky and weird and all that kind of thing. And that's what I think brings me joy. Um, It's not what was laid out in front of me. Um, And as a, as a sidebar to that, Mm -hmm. again, my generation was always about, well, this is going to be the job you have forever. Right. And that, and that, and I, and I barely mm-hmm. know anyone from my own generation still, who's doing what they were supposed to be doing, and I wish someone had told me that earlier. Like, that's, that's like, hey, psst, don't panic. Yeah, that, that that's stigma. Okay. Yeah, it's yeah, that stigma is one that I'm sure has affected and hurt many. Yeah, yeah. it absolutely. You know? And and I think it's also when you look around you. Like, I mean, when I became a parent. Somebody said, I, I, my husband and I became parents through adoption and our social worker said, do not pay attention to other people. Just do it the way you think is the best way to do this. And I wish I could have thought about that with everything else because it's like, well, you know, but, but you've got, everyone's like, oh, my baby is pooping this many times a day and they're eating and they're sleeping. And you're like, my kid's not eating and sleeping. What's wrong with me? I'm a bad parent, you know? And I feel like that's just where once again, what we've been talking about, just leaders being more real and authentic, exactly. you know, and telling, you know, Hey, it wasn't easy. People just, we always see that. And it's not the picture. suffer Olympics either. No. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's the other thing we either get into, like, we're all awesome. We live our Instagrammable life and we're all perfect or we're in this like suffer Olympics. And I'm like, no, no, there's something in the middle. It's called yeah. life. Yeah. Okay, so get over it. Big middle. (laughs) There's a really big middle. Big middle that people don't like to talk about. Exactly. You know, because it's like, well, what was Instagrammable today? Not much. You went to the, you went to the the Piggly Wiggly, and you like bought a few things and came home. You don't need to take a picture of it. No one gives a shit. (laughs) There you go. 
Thank you. All right. Well, it was great talking to you. It was great talking to you. Yeah. I'll get to talk to you more. I'm, I am around. around. I'm around. I'm going to make yes, sure ma'am. that Nancy sends out the email with the connection oh, to please. all of it. So uh, she yes, knows ma'am. how to reach everybody. That's the yes, best ma'am. way to That's do good. it. All right. Yes, it was great Looking having you. you again. Thank you. All right. Well, you're listening to Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. And uh, oh, we have someone else coming on in. All right. Here we go. Uh, we have Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. We're here at the Commit to Excellence Conference. We are doing some uh, micro podcasting and talking to folks about leadership and leadership acumen and develop, developing their leadership skills. I am pleased to be here. And we are with, let me see your name tag. Let me see your name tag. We've got, is it Kevin or Kevon? Kevon. Kevon. And where do you go to school, Kevon? I am not in school anymore. Okay. I just recently graduated this okay. May from uh, North Carolina A&T. All right. And what are you doing right now, Kayvon? Uh, I am now doing recruiting for, um, well, engineering and sciences, but I do um, like civil engineering and land development jobs in oh, wow. Charlotte. Okay. And what brought you up here? Um, so I'm here with uh, the Corvius Foundation folks. They're the okay. people that um, gave me my scholarship to go to college. Awesome. And, you know, they allow us to kind of be a part of these uh, events and conferences and, you know, really just develop us all as leaders. That's awesome. And so you graduated this last May. Yes. And so did you go four years without an interruption to graduate or was there some stepping and stopping because of the pandemic? Tell me a little about that. Um, so interrupted and uninterrupted as far as um, just kind of like my hmm. plays through college. Yep, yep. Um, however, had two major changes. Okay. And, well, still got out in four years. Okay. But um, yeah, yeah, changed my major twice. Okay. Uh, came in uh, architectural engineering and tech. Okay. And you went, oh, this is too hard. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Yes, that's what happens sometimes. You go in and you go, I got to take what? (laughs) Oh, that's not good. That's not going to work, right? tell you i didn't realize all the levels of oh, math. Yeah, oh yeah no math the, math is hard yeah oh, gosh um, <laughs> all right so you didn't you didn't, weren't working out there no. okay and then what happened um after that went to uh business management with okay. an entrepreneurship focus okay um and i mean I, not to knock business degrees yeah, but i don't right. i don't particularly agree it didn't with, it didn't light your fire it did okay you know. okay um, so then ended up switching to psychology after that and okay fell in love and fell in love with that that's awesome all right and sometimes you gotta like it's not always going to be a straight trajectory yeah. and good on your institution for making sure you graduated on time yeah. because that is not you know you you had to make up some stuff Right. A lot. And you and they had to say, oh, maybe we can count this towards this and all that kind of thing. I'm sure there was those conversations were had because I've been part of those conversations. Oh, yeah. um, you probably didn't get to take a lot of electives, so you probably um, had it kind of prescribed for you. So actually, like, yeah, that's that's pretty much how it was. But what happened is um, at North Carolina A&T, like your senior year, there's maybe like two or three required courses and everything else is electives. Okay. So all of my business classes transferred over as electives. electives and yeah, that's how yeah. I graduated okay. on time. Awesome. Yeah, that's a, that's the way to do it. Those are yeah. smart smart folks at your institution. <laughs> so um, how have you enjoyed the conference so far? The conference has been really good. Okay. Like, um, of course, like some of the speakers I've already um, kind of had some interactions with, like mm-hmm. Dr. Jermaine Davis, yep. uh, my yep. guy, yep. Uh, Chelsea Williams, James Robolata, just all great speakers. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I mean, always just being a part of this conference and around Nancy, you know, seeing her leadership, how she pushes through everything and then, you know, how you guys come over and, and really enrich us. You know, yeah. like um, I can speak for myself at least, but, you know, I take 
bits and pieces from everything that everybody says and it's always like really good that's great me. that's great so you wanted to come over and ask me a question did you have a question or do you just want to like just put the headphones on and and figure it out <laughs> i had a question actually okay. okay so um so you you've had quite a quite a journey journey yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, i can say like um as somebody who i i don't want to say like I don't, I don't, I don't like saying figured it out. Cause I mean, I don't think anybody really has no. it figured out, no. but like how, like, how did you kind of keep your head tight, you know, going, mm. going through your career track and just like keeping yourself motivated, even in those days, like, well, I'm doing this. Like, I don't really want to do this, yeah. but I'll push through it. Well, I think it's important that, you know, when we look at who we are, there are these opportunities that we say, you know what? Um, what's the kind of reasoning behind me doing this? Okay. If my job ever got to the point or my career ever got to the point where I said, I don't care anymore. That would have been a totally different kind of trajectory for okay. me at no point along the way did I ever say, I don't care anymore. Um, there were some things I didn't care for, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> there was always like this woman when I worked at one university, we used to have something called petty cash and petty cash was like, you, you, when you were in a certain positions, like you don't have a big budget, but we're going to give you like $500 in cash and you can use it for things like, and you didn't have to get approval. Like, so it's yeah. like, I you can't buy alcohol with it or something yeah. or like, you know, illicit <laughs> drugs, but you could do things like, all right, I'm going to have a staff appreciation thing. So I'm going to go get some hoagies and bring them to the office. And so you use petty cash and you get a receipt and all this stuff. And I know this sounds like, like, why are you talking about this? But like, there were certain things where I'm like, I really hate this aspect of this okay. job. And every month you'd have to kind of settle up and bring, you had to have $500 in either cash or receipts and you had to bring it. And have you ever seen the movie Monsters, Inc.? Yes. Okay. And there's that, like, there's that yeah. woman, and that, like that character <laughs> with the glasses and that, like that. So the woman who worked in the penny cash office, I swear, was who they based this movie oh, character no. after. And she was, ah, and I'm like, oh, I hate this. <laughs> right. And I, there are some things that happen in your career and you say, I don't like this part of the job, but I never had a situation where I didn't care anymore. And I, and I think that was actually a really good thing about my career is that I care about the students. I care about the outcomes. I care about the work. Um, but there were some things I didn't care for. Okay. okay? Um, and, you know, James Rebelata, like yesterday, he was asking me some questions about myself and my career and all this stuff. And, and I told him, well, I was working at, I was a vice president at a college, Mount Ida College, when they closed. And he's like, oof. And I said, yeah. I said, that's not something you put on your LinkedIn profile where people go, exactly. you know what? I want to meet this woman. She sounds like a basket of fun. Um, and he he made a joke and I'm going to steal it. And he goes, I closed a college so you don't have to, I you know, <laughs> like and, and it's true. And there were certain aspects of that and that like kind of the trauma of closing a school, I think, um, kind of gets you in touch with this idea of what I love and what I don't love about higher education. And one of the things that I kind of came to a point of understanding that I love is that when I started working in higher ed, I worked in an institution that people would probably say is an elite university. Okay. Right. And it had a certain type of student. Um, 
they would always say, we have a diverse student body. Everyone says, we have a diverse student body. Yeah. Okay. And how they actually define diversity, it, it depends on school to school. Okay. For the most part. Yeah. For the most part. Right. And some places say, you know, um, X number uh, percentage of international students makes us diverse where, but then if you actually look at like the um, racial uh, kind of percentages in terms of domestic students were actually really white and this is not oh, a super yeah. diverse school um and that was kind of where i was at i was at this pretty white place with a lot of international students and yeah you learn about other cultures and there's things about that that were great but the socioeconomics of the institution and the number of first generation college students and some certain aspects of it were not all that diverse exactly okay yeah. And as I kind of meandered my way through the five institutions I ended up working at, I came to find out is that I really like small schools and I really like schools that have not only racial diversity, but also first gen diversity, um, because that's a totally different kind of feel to it. Yeah. And it pushes you to do your job in a different way. And so when my institution closed, um, People often ask, like, well, do you want to go back to that? And I said, it would be really hard because I'd need to find the right institution. And I'd also have to know I had the right people to be by my side. Um, I will say that my last staff at Mount Ida was probably the best combination of people that were my direct reports. Yeah. And I, and I'm not just saying that because the schools closed and I'm like feeling yeah. like all waxing <laughs> on about being sentimental and all that. They're just really good at their jobs. Yeah. And I like their personalities and they would push back on me when I needed to be pushed back, but when I needed pushback and they would kind of get on board where I'm like, we got to get on board. They would get on board, you know, like, so, you know, I had good people and, you know, I'm have this long response to your question, but I think at a point when you can't, when you can't like care anymore, then you need to get out of the job, right? And I care too much about the, the promise of higher education at this point. It'll always be part of my life in terms of what I do, whether it be teaching or consulting and that sort of thing. But I think there's also the broadening of how does higher education have maybe a role in the future, right? So I've been thinking a lot lately about two things. Number one, how is higher education going to get out of its own damn way when it comes to actually being a force of uh, bringing people together to have conversations that are difficult? That's so good. Okay. And we have to do a better job at this. Like, we're not doing a good job. We just aren't. I mean, there may be a good program here or there, but as, as the academy across the board, we're just not. Um, I think the other thing that's putting a lot of like strain on my mental kind of state when it comes to higher ed is the sustainability of the model. Okay. Like it, we're all talking about student loan debt uh, yeah. and we've created this monster and the institutions saying, you know, this is how we're going to run it. And we need, we need some ballsy leadership somewhere that says, no, we're not doing this anymore. We're going to change. And this may actually be the time to do it because we are moving headlong into a time and, and it's going to be a longer period of time 
where we don't have as many traditional age college students coming to college. Exactly. So we have to change the model and now's the time to do it. Um, now we have to actually not so much recruit so many 18 to 24 year olds. We need to, cre we need to find new ways to pe get people to engage in higher ed. And um, so those are the things that are taking up a lot of my brain space. Yeah. Does that answer? No, that, that did. That did. <laughs> it was pretty good. And, and one more. So, um, cause I mean, like it, it's, as far as like making higher ed, like a meaningful experience, yeah. it's yeah. kind of like the grand theme of, of, yeah. of what I see. Like, um, as far as, um, kid to now expectations yeah. you may have had for your life your, your yeah. dreams yeah. everything to where you are now yeah. like yeah. how does that match up or how does it it differ? doesn't um no but i think like i always thought said i said this to, to the last person who was here it's, i i think i was of a generation that was told when you graduate from college this is what you're going to have a degree in and you're going to do this for the rest of your damn <laughs> okay. life and i was a journalism major and i graduated at a time there were not a lot of journalism jobs it's not like it is today where you know you could literally go on a sub stack and just be a journalist and yeah. work for yourself right and some people do it and they make good money okay um <clears throat> So the, the world was different. Work was different. The world of work was different. Okay. Um, and I think some of that has actually fueled where, when I feel like I am disappointing myself, it's because of some external like expectation that, but you went to school for this. Why aren't you doing it? Okay. Um, now, that being said, I think one of the things that I always felt super passionately about was that I I need to do right by people. So like last night on the stage, there was a question about like you, what was something you did as a child that was totally you, uh -huh, right? Yeah. And that was like an icebreaker that we were doing with the faculty. And, you know, I, I, I was like bummed I wasn't up there because I immediately remember this story when I was in the fourth grade and it was springtime and we were going out on the playground and the boys were playing baseball and the girls had to go do whatever girls do. And I brought my baseball glove to school expecting to be able to play baseball yeah. and the boys would not allow me to play baseball. I was bullshit. Okay. <laughs> and I like left recess early. It was a beautiful spring day. I went into the classroom, the teacher's there and she's, you know, she didn't want to see me. She's taking yeah. a damn break. Right. And I came in and I'm like, wah, 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 and I go sit at my table and I slam my, my, uh, glove on the table. What's going on? And I said, they, I wanted to play baseball and they wouldn't let me play <laughs> baseball. And I want to talk to the class. And it wasn't I needed the teacher to go out and yeah. fix it for me. I wanted to talk to the class. And she's like, all right. So when everyone came in, I was standing there and I was waiting. And when the class came in, they're like, Laura has something to say. Oh. And I was like, I know how to play baseball. I am a good baseball player. I'm better than Howard. I'm better than this. Like I remember Howard Crawford. God love. I, I don't know if he's still alive, but anyway, so Howard Crawford and he had a twin brother, Harold. They were Harold and Howard Crawford were in my class. I'm like, I'm better than Harold and Howard. And I know that I could be, I should be playing baseball, but you didn't pick me because I'm a girl. Oh, and I just feel like that's always been kind of this like thing in me and that I, I either have to speak up for myself and hopefully I'm speaking up for other people who have had some of the same experiences yeah. or I use my positionality in life to be able to stand aside somebody and say, 
yeah, I'm not going to talk, but I'm going to give this microphone to this person because you need to hear what they have to say. And yeah. I am not going to speak for them. Go. And yeah. they go, wait, 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 hold on. It's like, we came in here to hear you. I'm not going to talk. I'm giving them the microphone. And that to me is super important. And it's always been part of my life. That's so good. And, and, you know, just being and and hearing you speak like briefly um, yesterday, like, yeah. Like when you went through that, I yeah. was like, yeah, just from the, the brief of what I know for you, I could definitely imagine. Well, I appreciate you that. In the center of the I class. I literally just in the center of the class wearing my like little like whatever girls would wear in 1970, whatever, yeah. to school, you know, like, you know, wearing your thing and, and all that. But it, but I appreciate that. And I think that, you know, I'm glad you asked that question because I, you know, I think when we think about the younger us, I think we always think about, like this idea of success. Yeah. Um, I don't think we give ourselves enough um, kind of tutelage of your life is going to be different and it's okay. Yeah. And um, take some time, you know, to do some things that, 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 that you're never going to be able to replicate again. Exactly. It's all about experiences. It's not about stuff. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and, just kind of realizing like i mean success isn't you know how it's displayed nowadays you know yeah. success for everybody isn't a whole lot of money success isn't all these businesses or like a banging career no. or you know no. whatever that means like you know define it for yourself and exactly. that's something that you know i've been trying to do lately like i mean i become kind of hard on myself it, it's it's you know it's always that thing with i'm never good enough or yeah. something that i'm doing yeah. is never enough and I had to sit down with myself and just be like, like, dude, you're pushing every day. Yeah. You know? yeah. And at the end of the day, like, that's the main message that I try to put. You yeah. Because I, I come from the south side of Chicago. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, and all the things that oh come with gosh. it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, at the end of the day, you know, whether it's somebody that, you know, I'm mentoring, kids from the college, um, the kids from back home, cousins, things along those lines, like, you know, success may not pan out to what you've envisioned it to be so far and what you were told so far. Yeah. But, you know, success can just be that little win of getting up in the morning. Like, right. Right. I'm blessed to just be able to wake up, not just woke up in a new city. Like, right. You know, right. Like, blessed and, to be able to just be here. So, yeah. I mean, that's the little wins and that's what defines success. For I me. absolutely agree with you. You're uh, going to be fine. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to be just fine. Thank you. <laughs> this was great. All right. Well, we're going to close out. Uh, this is Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. We are coming to you live from the Commit to Excellence conference. And uh, I am thrilled to be here. We are going to be here throughout the rest of the day tomorrow uh, and uh, having some more micro conversations with our participants and the faculty. So tune in to us right here on Fireside. We are replayed on Apple podcasts, Spotify podcasts, and iHeart Music podcasts. Have a great day, everybody. And remember, get out there and learn something.